You guys might be thinking, about, thinking this about me right now, uh, but I had already planned to start with this phrase, you better sleep with one eye open. That's ironic, isn't it? You guys heard that phrase before, because most of you laugh, so you know what it means, right? What does it mean? Ooh. I see beware, be aware. What else? Attention. Be ready. Danger is coming. Oh, I, now, now you got me nervous. I wish you hadn't said that. Wish someone else had said danger is coming. All right. Well, fortunately, I'll be gone all afternoon, so that's probably good. Um, <laughs> when do you use that phrase? When do you use the phrase, you better sleep with one eye open? What, what, would, what would constitute a, a reason to say you better sleep with one eye open? Yeah, the, the, the danger phrase, right? When, when there is danger, so much so that, I mean, we say it a little bit tongue-in-cheek, right? But, but we're saying so much so that you can't even afford, you better be so on the alert so often that you can't even afford to lay down and close both eyes, right? Even when you lay down to get the rest that you need, you better have one of those eyes keeping, keeping an eye out. I should have thought of a better way to say that. But, but you better be watching even when you're sleeping, right? Um, it, it, it indicates that there's danger. There's danger there even uh, at all times, even when you may need to lay down and rest and get some sleep. And that got me to thinking about dangerous times to fall asleep. And you're thinking that's a dangerous thought for Jake to have probably. But, but here are my thoughts. And most of you probably don't want to know what I think about during the week. But um, I'm going to give it to you anyway. I was thinking the obvious one that first comes to mind is it's dangerous to, to fall asleep when you're driving, actively driving a car. We all know that. Uh, some of us have, have witnessed that, have seen that, know people who have, who have uh, been in that situation. And it's a bad thing, right? And then my mind moves often from serious to, to not so serious, but, but it is a real problem. Uh, it's dangerous to fall asleep maybe when you're babysitting children with access to permanent markers. <laughs> know what I mean? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a dangerous thing. Some of us have also experienced that as well and have loved ones who have, who have suffered through that before uh, as well. Um, when you're operating heavy machinery, of course, that's a bad time when you need that focus and attention. Uh, when you're at work, um, I used to do this at the bank sometimes. I just kind of lay my head down. And I'd, I'd, I'd kind of go to sleep. And I'll, I'll give you a little trick. Somebody walks in on you. Here, here's what I always did. They go, Jake, Jake, Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> yes. You do that and it works. What can they do, right? What can they do? It's, it's righteous. You, you know, it's, it's a way out. We could say the general rule is um, that it's dangerous to fall asleep anytime you're doing something important. Anytime the task at hand is important, when there's something at stake, when there's something very real and important and critical, vital, that's, that's on the line, right? That, that's kind of when it's dangerous to fall asleep. And, and church, are you involved in anything more important, more critical, more vital than giving your greatest effort toward obeying God's word? Is there anything more important? Like, is there anything that, that you could say, you know, well, actually, um, I'm working real hard at that, but I got this to do first. We say that all the time. But, but is that right? Is it right to say that, you know, I can do something else first and then obeying God's word I'll take care of later? Well, what happens if you spend all your time doing that, you get sucked into that, and then you never get back to God's word, to obeying God's word? Well, now you've proven what was most important because the consequences are far more serious and literally eternal 
when, when, you, when you neglect that, right? There's nothing that we're involved in where there's more at stake, more um, important things on the line than the spiritual warfare that we're all involved in as the church, right? Would we, would we agree with that? Right? So, so there's nothing more dangerous than to fall asleep on this job, right? So this morning, as uh, Randy alluded to here, he didn't allude to, he just told you guys, you know, but I put it in the bulletin and I send it to him, you know, a few days in advance, so there's that. Um, I want to bring a message called Waking Up the Church, because that's what I, I hope to do. Um, maybe not in the most fiery way, you know, I, I'm not, this isn't going to be a, you know, oh, get ready, put your seatbelts on. I, I'm not going to lay into you or myself even necessarily, but we're going to have a real serious talk about what Jesus says about the church needing to wake up and, and how the church wakes up, right? Uh, the church has, from time to time, in all of its existence, needed to, to wake up. Um, it's just been something that we've struggled with as the Lord's church since it, since it started, right? The Lord's church has had this tendency to fall asleep, and that's dangerous. When everything that really matters is at stake, that's a dangerous time to fall asleep, right? We're diligent to be sure we don't fall asleep when we're driving or when we're at work or when we're operating machinery that requires our focus and our attention, our full focus and attention, things like that. But when it comes to the most important responsibilities anyone on earth could have, we have at times found ourselves falling asleep on the job. We lack the diligence to, to see this through and to, and to stay awake and, and alert, right? And to to kind of sleep with one eye open because there's an adversary prowling around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. And that could be an issue, right? When our text, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, we're going to hear Jesus talking to a congregation in a place called Sardis. And this church at Sardis, he's going to tell them literally to wake up. That's not an exaggeration. That is not me paraphrasing it into more modern language and saying, Jesus says to wake up. No, he literally says, that's a, that's a direct quote from the text. He uses the phrase, wake up. Okay, so let, let's look at it. Follow along with me. Uh, sometimes you just got to look at it. Um, look at this. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, that's Jesus, says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." So Jesus references uh, waking up a couple of times here, right? Here in verse 2, um, he gave the command to wake up. And then we saw it in verse 3, he warned this church at Sardis about what would happen if they do not 
wake up. Therefore, if you do not wake up, he says, and then he, he launches in. Now, this phrase in the Greek that's been translated as wake up here, Jesus used it uh, several times, and others used it as well. This is the same word that's translated into some form in, in English, some form of, of wake up. It's used over 20 times. I think in the New American Standard Bible, it's 22 different times that that phrase shows up. And it's translated as things like be on the alert, uh, be sober, be ready, keep watch, stay awake, and, and so on. Many of the things that when I told you guys or asked you guys, what does it mean to uh, sleep with one eye open? And you gave a lot of those words, right? You gave a lot of those same phrases. Remember when uh, Jesus was disappointed with Peter, James, and John when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember that moment in Jesus' life? Remember when he came back to them and disappointedly he asked them if they were unable to stay awake with him while he prayed? Remember how he was disappointed in the fact that they fell asleep when he had to go and wake them up? That's the phrase, that's the word, the Greek word that's translated into an English phrase for us. That's the word he used when he told them, or when he asked them, are you unable to stay awake? Stay awake there is how it was translated. Are you unable to stay awake with me while I pray? And so I want you to, I mean, I don't want to put us down in the ditch and get us real sorrowful right here at the beginning necessarily, but I do want us to keep that in mind as we think about how serious it is to Jesus when we, when we fall asleep on the, these important tasks that he has for us. When we won't wake up or when, when he has to keep waking us up or asking us, are you unable to even stay awake? Right, so, so kind of keep that in mind because it's the same word and it's Jesus using it there and it's Jesus using it here in our text, okay? So as we jump into the lessons here, I want you to see that Jesus' instructions um, to this church at Sardis, they could be viewed as a formula. And that's kind of how we're going to treat it today in a way. Anytime that the church, Christians uh, individually and as a group, as the church, anytime that we're called to wake up, we need to do these things that we're going to see Jesus outline for us in our text. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We're going to see this like a formula. Anytime a Christian needs to wake up, you need to do this, this, this and this. These general things, these concepts that Jesus covers with the church at Sardis, we have to put these into play as well. And you're going to see uh, they're, they're, real, they're real general. Now, there's specifics that we're going to cover that we need to go through, but they're real general things, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, I mean, obviously, if I, if I need to wake up, if I got a spiritual uh, sleeping problem and I need to wake up, I got to do these things, okay? So let's, let's look at these. Uh, first of all, we see uh, that we must wake up to reality, we have to wake up to reality. That's the first thing that has to happen. And, and at, at first you might be like, that sounds cliche. And then you might go, mm, but it's true. <laughs> yep. First things first, we have to see reality. That's an absolute must. Uh, you can't fix a problem that you can't see or that you won't see or that you just haven't yet acknowledged. Any of those things true, you, you can't fix a problem, right? Jesus said that what we're dealing with here is where he said this, I know your deeds that you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. And he says, I know you're deep. I know what you're actually doing, right? Now, you might wonder how does this indicate to us that the first step in waking up is recognizing the reality of our situation. Well, notice that Jesus says here that there is a reality that exists. He knows their deeds. He knows what's actually happening. Okay, there's a reality that exists, but then there's a disconnect here between their deeds and their reputation, and that spiritual reality, right? If we'll consider 
what Jesus said, we'll notice that what others see is not necessarily, obviously, what's actually going on. What is the reality of this situation? Jesus said the church at Sardis had a name, right? That's a reputation. He said they had a name that they were alive. And their reputation was that they were, they were living, they were active, they were a thriving body of believers. Now, who do you think believed that about them? Who do you suppose thought that they were alive, that they had a name that they were alive? There's a good chance that probably there were some outsiders who, who believed, well, that church is doing something. And there may be some people, you know, think that about liberty. You know, I don't know. Uh, but the fact is, somewhere between, I'm somewhere between 105 and 107% sure that it was the church at Sardis who believed that they were alive. Because who, who promotes these kinds of ideas? Who wants to cheerlead and say, like, you know, I love my church or... Blah, 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 hashtag I love my church. Who wants to do that stuff? Who's selling that idea? Who's promoting that idea most of the time? It's the church, right? Who has the greatest motivation to, to do that kind of stuff? To, to say, oh yeah, no, 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 no. We, I mean, no church is perfect. We have our flaws, but you know, pretty doggone good, I'd say. Who does that? The church does that. And I believe the church at Sardis believed they were alive, okay, uh, for sure, all right? But, but listen, Jesus knew better, right? Jesus knew better. Jesus knew the reality of the situation. In fact, you can see here, he can see the situation. Jesus knew their deeds, he said. He said, I know your deeds. And Jesus uttered that phrase, I know your deeds, in multiple places. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 19. Here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Also in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, and then Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. And in dozens of other places, Jesus referenced deeds. This, this same word that he used for deeds. He talked about the need to repent of certain deeds. He said that he would judge according to, uh-oh, Deeds, reality, right? Not, not just what's, what you think in your mind is going on. And also that his followers need to be doing good deeds, right? Jesus was very concerned about your deeds, what you're doing, okay? What you believe is the first step, but then what you do based on what you believe is critically important. It's, it's vital, and Jesus is watching it. And Jesus indicated here that according to their deeds, they were dead, Right? That's what that says. Jesus doesn't say you look like you're dead. He doesn't just say it seems like you're dead. It's you are dead. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 the Bible says you were dead. You were dead. In your trespasses and sins. Now trespasses and sins sound an awful, not, an awful lot like uh, specific descriptions of deeds. Things you do, right? Are our trespasses and sins not deeds that you would do? They're not good deeds, but you do wrong things. Those are sins. Those are trespasses. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible also shows us this. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure, okay, that's sin, is dead even while she lives. See, sinful deeds bring about spiritual death. Okay? The church at Sardis was sinning. The church had fallen into sinful deeds. That's what's going on here. That is why she, the, the church at Sardis, was dead. Okay, 
You should read Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 on your own soon, okay? We're not going to cover the whole thing. Revel uh, Romans, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Uh, read that on your own sometime, but in that passage, in, in the sandwiched in the middle of that, in, in Romans chapter 2 there, in verses 5 and 6, it teaches us that unrepentant sin is going to be dealt with by God at judgment, okay? We know that, but it's important to understand and see what, what he says here. And the Apostle Paul reminds us there that uh, God's judgment is righteous, okay? It's, it's, it's right. It's what we actually deserve, what would be the proper punishment, right? He, he tells us that. And in verse 6, he says that God will render to each person according to their name, according to their reputation, according to what people think about them. Oh, is that not what it says? You guys are looking at me weird. Oh, it says deeds. It says what you do. He's going he's gonna to... You guys act like you're still not caught on yet. Wake up, church! <laughs> okay. He says he's going to judge. It's going to be righteous judgment. It's going to be according to our deeds. The Lord's going to come back, and he's going to judge according to what we do. Again, what we believe, our, our faith and our trust, and all that is going to be critically important. That's the foundation that it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't believe what you, what you need to believe, if you don't believe the truth, it's going to be a problem. However... If it's just mental assent, if you just say like, well, I know I ought to go to church. Well, I know I ought to do good deeds. Well, I know I ought to serve my neighbor. Well, I know I ought to sacrifice my own stuff for, so that other people have stuff. Like, if you just keep thinking that, what, what does James say? You know, if you say, you know, go, be warm and filled, and you don't do anything for their body, you don't, you don't take care of them, you don't do something with your faith, it's dead, it's worthless, and it can't save you. And so he's going to judge according to those deeds. Now, the rest of this passage that I told you you ought to read, um, it explains that righteous deeds will be rewarded. Okay, so if you do wrong things, bad deeds, unrighteous deeds, uh, you're going to be punished, right? But you'll be rewarded if you do the righteous deeds, right? Eternal life. And, and of course, the unrighteous deeds will get God's full wrath. But that passage ends in verse 11 with these powerful words. It's short, but it's powerful. That's what they used to say about me in junior high. For there is no partiality with God. There's no partiality with God. See, it doesn't matter who you are, what you own, the money that's in your bank account, the reputation, the name that you have. None of those things matter. There is no partiality with God, it says. So it is truly all about the reality of your situation. It is all about the, the reality of your faith. Jesus knows your deeds. He knows what's behind your deeds, uh, and he can see if there's anything that goes beyond your, what you call faith, mental assent, just saying, I believe this. He knows all of that. He knows the whole situation, right? So, so like James says, don't delude yourself. <laughs> be sober-minded and be honest with yourself. James says there in James 1.22, he gives us this great encouragement, and it's a warning too. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves, okay? Don't worry about what you want others to think you are, okay? And don't worry about what others actually do think about you already. Wake up to reality. I mean, if you think about this, be... Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers only. We're here hearing the word. We're all in a church building right now with, with church people, and we're hearing the word of God uh, right now. You've got a copy of it in front of you. Many of you brought your own copies, and they're sitting on your laps. I'm throwing them up here. I'm spewing them out of there. Right? We're hearing the word of God. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to be hearers only? 
who delude themselves, like, like frankly, like most of the church, or are we going to be doers of the word? That sets you, I mean, you don't want to strive to like get a pat on the back and, you know, ascend to some pedestal, but I'm telling you, if it would motivate you at all, that puts you way up here as far as, you know, a Christian goes. I mean, an obedient one? Whoa, that's kind of a novel thing these days. One that just hears the word of God and says, that's what God says, I'll do it, and then does it. It's kind of rare these days. It's kind of rare. Everybody's got hesitation issues. Everybody's got busy schedule issues. But this is what we need to do because Jesus says he knows our deeds. He sees our spiritual reality, and so we need to wake up to that reality. Now, after we give ourselves this, this wake-up call to discover uh, what is wishful thinking versus what is, you know, actual reality, we see that we need to wake up and strengthen the right, or, or what is good, what is right that we're doing, what, what is right that the church at Sardis was doing. Uh, take a look there at verse 2 again, what Jesus said there. He said, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So the church at Sardis wasn't all bad. Like, like not every fiber, every thread was not bad. A few of the people were, were living as they should. I think this probably has reference to some of the people. There were probably people in the congregation who, who were doing what is right. In fact, we'll see that for sure as we go uh, toward the, the end of this passage today. But also, the people who weren't living as they should were probably doing some things that were right. You know, some, there were some things that they could build on and they needed to make sure they didn't stop doing those things because, you know, that's the few things you're doing right. You know, don't stop that keep doing that right undoubtedly they would have had these positive things in their lives doing some things right and then as a whole there, there would have been some things that were good that, that the church was doing together some things that were good and they needed to recognize those things and, and strengthen those things um, picture table that's in really bad shape it needs to be refinished um, you know maybe it's a little coffee table that way it'll fit up here on the stage nicely um, even my imaginary props have to fit. Um, picture a little table here, <laughs> and it needs to be refinished. It's, it's, it's looking really rough, but it's the cutest little thing, and man, you could just picture it painted. You, you'd snap some pictures, put it on Pinterest, and show all your friends and everything else. So, so you want to do this, but it's also wobbly. What are you going to do first? You're going to start sanding that thing with those legs doing this and stuff? No, the first thing you're going to do See if you can tighten down those legs. Give it a sturdy foundation to kind of build on, right? You, you want to sturdy up those legs before you start sanding and, you know, grinding and um, adding ketchup. I, I don't know how to do these projects. You guys are going to have to help me. Anyway, before you really go wild, let's, let's get those legs. Let's give it a sturdy, give this project a sturdy foundation uh, so that we can, we can build. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here that, that needs to be done with the, the church at Sardis project, okay? They need to wake up and strengthen the things that remain, and that's what we need to do as, as well as the church today that, that's needing to, to wake up, that needs this wake-up wake call. Once we recognize and understand and acknowledge our spiritual reality, we need to identify the right things, the things we're, we're going in the right direction on, things we're doing uh, that are good, and then we need to strengthen those things so that then we can address all the other imperfections and stuff because we've, we've built some kind of little foundation. We, we've made it a little bit more sturdy. The things that, that were about to die, right? The, we, we take these things that are not completed, but they're good, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna shore those up before we move on at, at all. And we'll talk about moving on here in just a second, but this is the first thing we need to do is strengthen these things 
that are good, that are right. And the Bible outlines for us certain right things, certain good things that we've been commanded actually to strengthen. Okay, anything that's good, let me make sure I'm clear. Anything that we find that, that's good and right and biblical, we need to strengthen that. If we're doing it, we need to strengthen it. But the Bible, I just want to point to real quick, specifically, some things that the Bible actually comes out and says, not only are these good, but if these things are in your life and are increasing, if you're strengthening these things, some of you know right where we're going now because I've given you the buzzword. That's the, that's the quote from Peter, right? If these things are increasing in your life, there's these great, great benefits, spiritual benefits, okay? So these things are outlined and explained for us in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're told that if these things are being strengthened in our lives, we'll be fruitful. And then it also says, it's got, a, it's got a kind of a kind of an interesting phrase. It says, our entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord. Uses that, that phrase, our entrance into the, the eternal kingdom of our Lord. It's going to be abundantly supplied to us. Let's look at that. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, first of all. And this is another passage, like Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. You should read all of this, starting at the beginning of 2 Peter chapter 1, and just read through until you get to the end of this passage here. Verse 11 again. But let's look at verse 8. He says, Peter says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that's connected with that and you can't pull it apart. If you have them and they're increasing, not just if you have them and you're babysitting them, you're, you're, you're kind of keeping them warm. You know, it's like that cup of coffee that you can't quite finish and it keeps going to the microwave. No, 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 no. If these are yours and are increasing, you're growing these things. Now, what is he talking about? Well, you've got to read the whole thing to find out, but I'll tell you, he's referring to diligence and moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. If these things are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless, so you won't be useless, you'll be useful, nor unfruitful, so you won't be unfruitful, you'll be fruitful, you'll be producing in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 11 says... For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So that's interesting. The, the practice of these things is a surefire path to heaven. It's a sure shot. If you're, if you're involved in this stuff that we talked about in, in verse 8, and you're increasing these things, and, and you read through all 2 Peter chapter 1, and you see what all he's talking about, if that picture is your life, you're on your way to heaven, bud. You, you are heading in the right direction. It will be abundantly supplied to you. You give your ways to the Lord, and he's going to show you the path to walk. You're, you're going to get there. This is the way to get there, is kind of what this is saying, okay? And, of course, verse 8 said that we're going to be fruitful. We're going to be uh, probably doing some good deeds. We're going to be doing the things that the Lord is going to see and say, I know your deeds. You walk the talk. You practice what you preach. You, you do what I say, okay? Now, from what we read in our text, I think we can see that the church in Sardis wasn't very fruitful, okay? They, they weren't doing this. In verse 2, Jesus says, I've not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. In other words, they're, they're lacking what the Lord is looking for, right? They're not, they're not up to snuff, we might say, something, something to that effect. They're wavering, they're fading, they're, they're waning, they're, they're wearing down and co uh, compromising, and they're becoming complacent. We can see that, uh, that something like that is happening at least, because Jesus said, strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, Right? He says these things were about to die. They're, they're, they're the, the little flame, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really getting pretty sad looking at this point. 
need to, need to strengthen these things now, okay? The church at Sardis need to identify all the good that, that may have existed in their congregation now before it was too late. They were about, these things were about to die, it says. The people who were good, the, the acts, the deeds that were good, the practices and the attitudes that were good, they needed to identify those, recognize those, acknowledge them, and strengthen them. And of course, the same is true for us today. We got to do the same thing. We may be off course in some areas ourselves, but there is good that can be identified, needs to be identified, and needs to be strengthened. We need to be striving for God's high standard. We need to ask ourselves, is the Lord looking at us and thinking, I've not found your deeds completed in my sight, in the sight of my God? You know, or are we lacking like the church in Sardis is? It starts with, Waking up and strengthening the good. Now, as we come to verse 3, we see that we, of course, also need to wake up and repent of the wrong. Okay, so, so wake up and see the reality. Wake up and, and strengthen the right. And then wake up and repent of the wrong. In the first part of uh, verse 3, Jesus said, So remember what you have received. Remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent, he says. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, while their stories are, are different, there's some similarity between the church at Sardis and the church in Ephesus that we see back in uh, chapter 2 being uh, addressed here. Um, the, the similarity that, that I see, and you can see if you look in your Bible, is that these churches knew the right thing. These churches knew what the right thing was. At one point in time, they were on the right track, and there's a return that needs to be made, right? Uh, look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. This is talking to the church at Ephesus. Jesus says, remember from where you have fallen. So you were here, and you've fallen. And repent, he says, and do the deeds you did at first. So clearly, they were where they needed to be before, and Jesus wants them to go back there, right? We, we, many of us already know this about the church at Ephesus, right? He says, or else I'm coming to you, and I'll remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. And then in our text, remember what we just looked at, Jesus said, remember what you have received. So remember, he's calling you back to something you already knew. Remember what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. So what I'm trying to get across here is this is not a matter of initial repentance. He's not saying, look, you guys are dead in your sins and trespasses, and you need to wake up and see the light here. <laughs> you need to turn to me, you know, like it's the first time. He's calling for them to, to return to what they already knew, what they have seen, what they have heard, uh, what they have received. He, he wants them to go back to these things that, that they were doing right before. They need to turn back to what they received and heard. Isn't this what most of us need to do? I mean, the, the, the church right now, obviously, but, but I mean, pretty well everybody. Isn't this what we need to do? Haven't most of us heard the truth and at one point started down the path that God has, has laid out for us in His Word? But then we let life get us down. We let life lead us astray. Uh, we let it entice us with its comforts and its conveniences, right? And haven't most of us heard the word of truth and turned from unrighteousness to righteousness, but then things just cooled down? We let our foot off the gas, and then we, we just never got around to putting that foot back on the floor. <laughs> we never pressed the accelerator again. We never picked up where we left off. And haven't most of us heard the truth? On a very basic level, haven't most of us, all of us really, don't we know what we need to do? 
I mean, I mean, you know, we say, well, I don't know. Aren't you up there to tell me? Kind of. I'm mostly here to remind you. Haven't, haven't we all really heard what we need to hear? We know what we need to know. And it really just comes down to, to doing it. I mean, isn't God's word abundantly available? Don't we know that we need to do what God says in his word? Rather than, you know, just what some preacher said when we were young or what our, our mom and dad believed or our grandparents or, or what's most widely popular or what I can find readily on the, you know, bookstore shelf and, and read about. You know, don't we know that, that we don't need to be listening to um, edicts that come down from um, man-made denominations and man-made beliefs and creeds that come from these man-made headquarters. I mean, don't we know that that's not right? I mean, we know we need to be listening to God. We've got His Word. We don't need additional books and additional commentary. We need His Word, and we need to do what it says. I mean, that sounds super basic, and you're like, dude, you are beating this horse to death. Yeah, doesn't that show the point? Doesn't that make it so obvious? We're not all doing it. We know it, and it's so obvious, but we're not all doing it. We've heard the truth, we've received it, but not all of us are acting on it, are we? That's wrong, and that needs to be repented of. Some are far off the path. Some uh, have quite the return to make. Others are just starting to veer or, or, or they've been there for a while, but they, they didn't get real far off the path. But the fact is, so far as we aren't uh, keeping what we've received and what we've heard, so far as we aren't doing that, we need to wake up and repent of the wrong. The final part of Jesus' wake up formula here is this. Wake up to your future. So we need to see the reality of where we're at. <laughs> We need, to, we need to see that reality, seeing the same reality that, that Jesus sees in us. And then we need to wake up and strengthen the right. And then we need to wake up and repent of the wrong. And now Jesus effectively tells the church at Sardis there that they need to wake up to, to what's coming. They need to wake up to their future. What's next in their story? Um, look at Jesus' words there in verse 3. Uh, I'm going to pick up after that command to repent. He says, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So here in verse 3, or here in... Um, well, yeah, in, in verse 3, we have uh, the second time. We're still in verse 3, aren't we? The second half of verse 3. Um, we see the second time that Jesus uses this phrase, wake up. And this time he's saying, if you do not wake up. Okay, he gave the command to wake up in verse 2. Now here in the second half of verse 3, he's saying, if you don't wake up, we've got a, a problem here. Okay, not that they didn't already know this, but Jesus is at least reminding them of the eternal consequences of failing to wake up and that they are real and that they are, in fact, eternal, right? He says it'll come like a thief in the night, meaning that it will feel all too sudden for those who fail to wake up, who, who perhaps refuse to wake up. It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be shocking and overwhelming is what this is really getting at. Uh, this idea of the Lord arriving like a thief in the night indicates that somebody's not ready. 
Somebody's not ready for this. Scripture fleshes that out for us. Look at uh, Matthew 24, verses 42 through 43. Jesus speaking again here. He says, therefore, be on the alert. Okay, there's that word that we talked about before. That's one of those scriptures where it's the same word that Jesus used for wake up when he says be on the alert. Same thing right there. He's saying wake up, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. See, unprepared people are the ones who are going to be shocked and and overwhelmed by an event like this. People who aren't on the alert, people who who aren't prepared, uh, people who are asleep and haven't woken up. Those are the people we're talking about. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, first of all. He says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So there's Paul talking about it. But listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. Just a couple verses later, he says, But you, brethren, these are people who are awake and alert. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Where do you sleep? I know some of you probably have a little nightlight or a little lamp or something, or you have the TV on. But, but what do you sleep in? The darkness. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day will overtake you like a thief. So see, he said in the same context that the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. But those who aren't in darkness, it won't be like a thief for you. It won't overtake you like a thief. Those who aren't in darkness, those who have the lights turned on and have opened their eyes to the reality of their situation, strengthened the right, repented of the wrong, the Lord is going to come still. He's still going to come at an unknown time. But it won't be an unexpected event. Unknown time, but it will not be an unexpected event. There's a big difference there. Wouldn't you like to be a part of the group that's watchful and ready? Wouldn't you like to be a part of the group that has the peace where they can lay their head down on the pillow at night or they can go through life at any point in time and know that if the Lord returns, I'm not, like, like I'm okay. I'm going to be just fine. I don't know when he's coming and I'll be surprised by, by, you know, oh, it's today. But I won't be overtaken like a thief in the night. I won't be overwhelmed and, and shocked by it in that way. Wouldn't you like to be a part of, of that group where you know you're going to be just fine when that happens? In fact, you're actually going to be better than just fine. Look at verses 4 and 5 as we uh, kind of draw things to a close here. Jesus says, Those who are ready will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. See, those who have not, uh, as, as he says here, soiled their garments, those who wake up, those who, who see their situation for the reality that it is and do all the things we talked about and clean things up and, and do what they need to do, they'll be considered worthy and their names will remain, not be taken away, will remain in the book of life. Their names will be confessed. Wouldn't you like to hear Jesus say your name and not say that you're going to hell? But instead to say that that this is one of mine, right? Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus say your name to God the Father and before his holy angels like it says there? Guys, that's the reality of this situation. 
In some way, shape, or form, I don't know exactly how it's all going to go down. We haven't been told all of that, and I don't know exactly what Jesus is going to say. I only know exactly what he has said has been recorded for us, but it's going to be something like when we're all at the judgment bar of God, Jesus is going to say to the Father and before the angels as witnesses, this is one of mine. I know them, and I love them. They know me, and they love me. They listen to me. And they, they've obeyed me. Their place in my glory is prepared and it's, it's ready. Now church, isn't that a good reason to wake up to reality, to wake up and strengthen the right, to wake up and repent of the wrong, and to wake up and be ready for this future? Sounds like a good reason to me. As Jesus said there, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.